As you're taking your seat, if you would grab your Bibles and turn to Hebrews with me, we're going through, uh, literally going through the book of, or the letter of Hebrews and, um, and, uh, just really kind of picking it apart per se. So if you would turn to Hebrews, if you didn't grab, if you didn't bring your Bible, grab the one out of the back of the pew in front of you and just follow along. Um, there's a couple things here I really want us to, to zero in on. And we're in verse two, or uh, chapter two. And uh, we're just kind of walking through this and taking our time. Last week, we talked about uh, neglecting. We talked uh, the great salvation. We talked about how easy it is to drift. If you were here, how easy it is to uh, at times drift. That Those words are uh, that the author used is, is more from a nautical sense of like a ship. Um, if we're not careful, we can drift off course very, very easily. Um, and before you know it, we're, we're, we're off course. And and um, the author warns against that and says, be very careful not to drift. And as we look at chapter 2, we're going to look a little bit more into Jesus' humanity. The author really begins to look at Jesus and begins to talk about his humanity. And there's a, there's a portion of it I really want us to zero in on. But I'm going to read verses 5 through 18, if you would just follow along with me. In verse 5, he says this, For he has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about. But one has somewhere testified, What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. Now, very quickly, let me just say this. In this particular passage, uh, it's, it's very easy when they talk about the Son of Man to look at that and say, well, he's talking about Jesus. Right here, he's not talking about Jesus. He's talking about humans. Uh, often it's referred to Son of Man. In fact... Uh, according to the Greek translation, that would be a correct translation, but according to the Hebrews, it means it's, it's different. It's, it's this, he's talking about man. And so what he's saying is, what this verse is saying is this, I found in Psalm 8, is this, you care about man. Why is it you care so much about humans? <laughs> you know, with all of our hang-ups and things, what, what is it you care so much about humans? You made us just a little bit lower than angels, you know. And he goes on to say, for in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace, very key, he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering. That's a big word we're going to look at today for his suffering and death. For in bringing many sons to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, all things exist for Him and through Him, should make the source of their salvation perfect through, and there's that word again, sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. And again, I will trust in Him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these. You see where the author is going with this? He's, 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 he's really picking up on this theme of Jesus becoming flesh and joining in and relating with mankind. Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. 
For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore, in these last two verses, we're going to zero in on. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tested and has suffered, he is able to help those who are tested. Now we're going to look at those couple of verses, 17 and 18. We're going to narrow down on them a little bit more here in a few moments. But I want to, I want to extract a word from there. Uh, in a lot of translations, that word propitiation in verse 17 is translated into atonement or sacrifice. And that's what it means, uh, to make atonement. The high priest would make a sacrifice. Why? Because there was a sin, there was an offense made, right? And a sacrifice was required to, to forgive or to take away the sins. Just a little pet peeve of mine, a little soapbox of mine. I like the word propitiation because I think it takes it to the next level because it's not just about, in my mind, about making a sacrifice, but it's about literally removing the wrath of God from this object. And that's what Jesus did. To me, it has a little bit more teeth. It's not that just, you know, that, that I was just, I've been atoned for. Jesus has taken the wrath of God that is placed on me and has removed it. I know now longer live under the wrath of God. Now that sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? Well, God's angry? God's got a wrath? Well, let's go back into Genesis when Genesis, when God created all things in Genesis chapter one, right? And after he created each things, after he created those, and he, it would take a day and he would create things. There was a couple words that was said and it was this. He created these things and he said, and it was good. Day two, and it was completion of day three. Don't fall back on me. Completion of day three, and it was good. And it was good. Later on we read, after the fall in Genesis chapter 3, that things were not... Oh, That's good. You really put the emotion behind it. You know, like, yeah, this is bad. You're right, it is bad. Things aren't good. Genesis chapter 3, sin enters into the world. Okay? Sin enters into the world and disrupts God's creation, what, what was good. And... and Literally from Genesis chapter 3 through the rest of the Bible, we read about how God is going to restore it to make things good. Jesus would have to come, a sacrifice would have to be made to remove the wrath of God. So when we look at Genesis, we see the way things should be, right? When God created all things... We, we, we read about this in, you know, in, in these few days, you know, whether they were literal, what, however you translate the days out in your terminology, in your theology, whether it was 24 hour days, whether it was a day age, whatever it is, the point of it is this. At one point, everything was good. Everything was good. God created all things for mankind, right? God created all things for mankind. God created this beautiful Garden of Eden. He created all things for man. And mankind, man, mankind had dominion over all things. That's the way things should be. We didn't have sickness. We didn't have cancer. We didn't have all these things that take our lives. People lived, you know, in that time, people, I mean, they would, 
they would just they would live. We didn't have sickness and death and all these things where you what the things that you and I experienced, the, the lost ones, where we lose loved ones prematurely to death. Accidents happen. We have shootings in Florida. We have all these things where we step back and we say things aren't good. That's not how it used to be. I'm reminded about every funeral I do. And especially if it's someone who's died earlier than, than later. I mean, I, I think later, we, we don't like to lose loved ones. I get that. But I think all of us in here, when we have a loved one that reaches the ages of you know, 80, 90 uh, years old and things like that, it's a little bit easier to, to, to let go and to say they've lived their life. And we don't want to see them in, in misery. We don't want to see them uncomfortable and that types of things. And so we, we, it's a little bit easier to go. But when you take a child that's six or seven years old, when you take someone that's in the prime of their life and they leave this earth, that's hard. That's hard. And that's not the way things were. That's not how it was designed. Things aren't the way they should be. But when we look back, we see the way that things should be. And in fact, when we read, when we go forward in Revelation, there's going to be a time when things will be restored the way they should be, and we're not going to experience any of these things any longer, right? In Revelation, we're not going to experience death. We're not going to experience tears. We're not going to experience sorrow and emotion. We will be living in eternity. Those of us, those of you that have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and have surrendered your life to Him, your will to Him. And you, you, uh, you, you, you deny yourself. You pick up your cross daily and you follow Him. Your reward will be to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. Where we will no longer feel these types of emotions any longer. And I will no longer have to stand before families and walk, try to walk through with them during a really dark time where a loved one has been lost. But that's the way things should be. But you and I experience the way things are, right? Where we lose loved ones. Many of you are familiar with Terry Slusher who lost his life to ALS this week on Friday. 45 years old. Would any of us stand and say, that's okay. I'm good with that. I would imagine every single one of us would say, that's not right. That's not how things should be. But that's how things are. When the news came out in the shootings in Florida, we said, that's not the way things should be. But unfortunately, that's the things, that's the way things really are. With the shootings in Vegas, and we could talk about shootings, we could talk about all kinds of different things. Horrific acts towards mankind. Get this. Not too many years ago, um, well, a few years ago, World Wars, right? Up until World War One, World War Two, we believed a lot. Many people believed in, in in their in their view of the eschaton, the end times when Jesus would return. Many people believed that things were going to get better before the World Wars. Things were going to get things were going to be good, and as things progressively got better. God would just return and take His people because things were better and He would set up His kingdom here on earth, right? What do you think happened when World War I came around? And then World War II came around. What do you think got really put to test? People's theology on the eschaton. And many began to realize things are not the way they should be 
and they're really not going back to the way they should be, but things are really the way they are, and mankind does horrific things towards each other, where hate is just splattered all over the place every single day. You and I live in a culture that is becoming more and more and more engrossed in hate. That's not the way things should be. But that's the way things are now in the world that we live in. But here's the key. There's difference. There's something else that's going to be different with through Jesus. And through Jesus becoming human. The things, things begin to change, right? The way things are through Jesus. Jesus comes and He says, this isn't the way things are. This is the way things should be. These are the way things are, but this is not the way they're going to continue. This is not what my kingdom looks like. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. We just sang a song talking about giving us more faith. I don't know where you're at this morning, but when I read those lyrics and I sing those lyrics, I really resonate with them. Because there's times when I live in the should be, or I think in the should be, but I live in the really are. And let's be honest. Sometimes our faith starts taking a hit. I talk to individuals that have lost loved ones in the way things are, but they shouldn't be. And they say, you know what? I don't know about this God thing. Where's God at in all this? That's a question that keeps coming up in our world today. When any tragic event takes place, the question comes up, where is God at? Our faith gets rocked, doesn't it? Where is God when these things happen? Where is God? And it's easy for us to sit back. And I think every single one of us probably sitting in here, if we would be truthful, there's times where we sit back and we do kind of question that. And we don't like maybe walk away from our faith. But as a human, we do maybe sit back and say, where is God? Why doesn't God stop this stuff? Why does this have to happen? You see, we live in a broken world. You and I live in a broken world. And the way things, the way things get restored from this brokenness is that Jesus had to come into flesh, into, we just celebrated this, but it had to become incarnate, had to become flesh, to become our rightful priest. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, is doing a, an incredible job looking to these people and saying the same thing they're experiencing, the same things you and I experience. They may be a little bit different. They may not experience losing their jobs, or, or, or they, they may have. They may have not experienced shootings in some of these things, but they experience things that rock their faith too. They experience the same things. When we look over into the church in Ephesus, where it was located in the city, it was located to a place where all of its, all of its occupations were surrounded around a, 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 an idol. And so when someone would come to the faith, it would literally cost them their jobs, their occupations, their livelihoods. It was a big deal. It was a huge deal. And so they experienced the same things. And when certain things would happen, I'm sure, just like with the Hebrews here, the author's looking back and he's to these guys and he's saying, don't give up. Don't give up. This isn't the way things truly are. Jesus has made a difference. Jesus has made a huge difference in the fact that now, or that before he served as a priest, a prophet, and now our king. Don't neglect. Don't drift away. Stay encouraged. Stay anchored to the teachings of 
of who Jesus is. Because the way things are through Jesus are different. That's when lives are changed. That's when you and I think begin to think differently. That's when we begin to divorce ourselves from the philosophies of, the, of our culture in which we're immersed in, and we begin to think differently. And we begin to ask the question, can love really make a difference? Can it truly happen like Jesus taught? Can turning the other cheek really take place? Can praying for my enemies, can it truly make a difference? Jesus came and made a difference. But the key is, and we're going to look at this here in a few moments, but I want to take a break here within my sermon, within my talk, and I want us to celebrate communion. Because communion is the display of God's love pouring out onto all mankind. Okay? Uh, Because it represents the sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, it represents... The, the removal of God's wrath from your life and from my life. Those of us that believe, those of us that have surrendered our lives to Him, our will, our wills to Him, it has, it has profound implications upon our, upon our lives. It is the demonstration of God's love. It is the demonstration of God's love. But through that, Jesus suffered. And we're going to talk about this here in the next few moments. But what I want us to do before we do that, I would like us to pause. And we're going to have a song that we have sung many times. And as as the ushers distribute the um, elements to communion, I would ask that you would just take the juice, take the bread, hold it. And then afterwards, I'm going to come back up and I will lead us into communion together. You do not have to be a member of Element Church. But you do have to be part of God's kingdom, meaning that you have to be uh, a son or daughter of God's of God because you're celebrating what God has done in your life. I'm not here to judge you. That's between you and God. But I would ask you would just take them and hold them. But we're going to listen to the words of a very powerful song that we sing around Easter. We sing at Christmas time sometimes. And I want you to listen to the words as the elements are being passed out. But it demonstrates the humanity of Jesus coming and identifying with each and every person in this room taking on the same types of sufferings that you and I take on. Would you just lean in and listen to these lyrics and and take uh, the, the communion elements and hold them until we take it together as a family of believers. Verse 14 of our reading this morning. It says this, Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these. So that through His death, He might destroy the one holding the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, the good news is that He is here calling out to you, inviting you, to be in that relationship with Him. 
But if you ignore that or continue to ignore that, you have reason to fear because you have the wrath of God on you. But the good news is that that's not the way things have to be. That by His death, by His humanness, through His sufferings, taking on human form like you and I, suffering and dying on a cross, He has destroyed the works of the devil. And you and I are free of that. Would you stand and let's celebrate in communion the work that Jesus did on the cross as He's hung there and He became flesh. Let's take His flesh and be reminded of His sacrifice of His flesh as He hung on the cross. And then the blood that was shed for you and I destroying the works of Satan so that you and I can be free. Let us celebrate in that freedom and drink. Jesus, in Your name, we bow down and give You great thanks. We give You thanks that things can be the way they should be. Once again. The the things that we're living, the, the, the moment, the reality that we're living in right now is truthfully not the way things are. Because you have restored all things. And one day, all things will be restored and we will be with you for eternity. We celebrate this. We do not take this for granted. But we celebrate and we remember the incredible sacrifice. And thank you once again and praise you and bring you glory and honor here this morning. In your name, we pray these things. Amen. You may have a seat. Real quick, I just want to wrap up and say, just point out a couple things. Because there's a response of ours too. We receive that gift. We receive that uh, in, that invitation into a relationship with Him, which removes the wrath of God from us. We're reconciled with the Father, and now we're back to the way things should be. But listen to these verses 17 and 18. It says, Therefore, He had to be like His brothers and sisters in every way, so that He could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, to make atonement, and that atonement would stand for propitiation, the removal of His wrath, for the, sin, the wrath of God for the sins of the people. For since He Himself has suffered, when He was tempted, He is able to help those who are tempted. Just a couple things as I close here. Number one, He can identify. We do not serve a God in some lofty place that can't identify with you or with me. He can identify with every single aspect of what you experience and you encounter in this world today. Now you may say, well, he no, he can't because yes, he can. He was sinless. He did not commit sin. He did not fall into or give into the temptations. But he can identify of what it feels like and what it means to be tempted 
and all these other things because he was human. Fully human, fully man. Fully human, fully man. Therefore, he can identify with each and every one of us sitting in this room. Let's not forget as a man what he truly experienced as well. He was tempted in this, in the, in the sense of him taking on the concept of being Messiah, the Messiah, right? Or, or being the Messiah, not just the concept of it, but being the Messiah. But later on, let me just draw, let me just skip a few years and let's just go to the obvious. Later on, when he's, when he's going to the cross, he literally had people spitting on him, mocking him, blaspheming him his whole life. He had people questioning his ambitions, calling him Satan. All these other things. You're telling me that he can't identify with us. I praise God that that wasn't me going to the cross because we wouldn't be sitting here. Because I don't think I would have had the patience to deal with that. That's why I'm not your Messiah. I know that comes to a shock for many of you, but uh, that can be some dinner conversation for you later. The point of it is this. He can identify. Well, he didn't go X amount of months or years without a job. The guy, study his life. Study his life. And if you don't believe that he was tempted in the same ways that you and I are tempted, study it again. That is the reason why he had to be human and to deal with the same types of sufferings so that he can identify. He can identify. And when someone can identify... They can sympathize. That's a huge key. There's a difference when someone comes along, puts their arm around you and says, well, you know, I really feel bad for what you're going through. But they're not really going through it, nor have they ever went through it. But you take someone that is going through that same dark valley that you're going through, and tell me it doesn't feel good to walk beside someone like that when they put their arm around you and they say, I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like to go through the situation that you're going through. I know what it feels like to lose a loved one prematurely. I know what it feels like to lose a son or lose a daughter. I know what it feels like to have a sickness where you don't know what's going to happen on the other side or to lose your spouse or whatever it is. I know. And tell me that doesn't resonate with your soul. When someone can not only identify, but they can sympathize and empathize in the same shoes that you're walking in. It's amazing. And then the last thing is this. Because of that, and this sounds so cheesy and so cliche, and I get it, but He really can help. That is the gist of it all, is that He has walked in your shoes we serve a god that has walked in our shoes someone please tell me another religion where their god came to earth and died for them it doesn't work that way every other religion you're working to get to them our religion our god came to us and presents himself as a gift of salvation to us He can really help. Now, as I close, here's the hook. Just like last week, we're faced with a choice. Do we drift? Or do we stay anchored to the teachings of Jesus?
Do we drift away or do we become extremely intentional? Do we become very conscientious about our faith and our spiritual walk with Christ? Here's the hook for this week. We face an enormous gravity in our sufferings and in our humanness and in our temptations to identify with the world. Every single day, you face a temptation in your humanness to react, to discern, to gravitate, to move forward, to go closer to, to become immersed in, to become engulfed in, to act like whatever it is, just like our culture does. But you have a choice. Do we weigh, do we allow the pressure of that gravity to push us that direction? Or do we stand in the power of that song we just sang, the power of the, the song that we sang right before the, the message, the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us? Do we stand in His power and resist that gravity and move closer to the one that can identify with us, the one that can sympathize with us, the one that can truly lead us through the situation that we're in. Guys, I can't stress it enough. We have a Savior that took on the same sufferings as you and I. It doesn't get any better than that. And this morning, we have this, this incredible opportunity to continue to, to, to live in that, in, the, in that state of denying ourselves, picking up our crosses daily, and following Him. You're either going to follow Him, or you're going to follow the world. It's not a fence-riding thing. Which will you do? I pray that you would allow the Holy Spirit here in these next few moments, we're going to close with one more song. I pray that you would just... Um, in these closing moments, just allow the Spirit of God to engulf you and that you might have an incredible encounter, worship time with your Savior and that you would respond in the way in which He would have you respond. Would you do that as we stand and I pray and we'll sing this last song. Jesus, again, we just... We give you glory and honor that you would love us enough to lay down your life. Not that you had to, not that someone took it, but you willfully, as the Bible says, as the scriptures teaches us, that you willfully laid your life down for us. We give you incredible thanks and glory. Your name is so great. And I pray this morning as we spend one last moment here and sing this last song, that instead of taking all this for granted, we would be gently reminded that we're here to bring you your glory. And may your children, your sons and daughters, lift you up right now. In your name, amen.